Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Irish Times Business Podcast in association with Irish Life. Eight of the top ten Irish companies choose to do business with us. We know Irish life. We are Irish life. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Business Podcast. This is Wednesday, October 14th. I'm Kieran Hancock and on this week's show, we'll be reviewing Budget 2016. Did it deliver what was promised and what exactly is the Fiscal Advisory Council's beef with the government's spending plans. Here to tease out the issues with me are Arthur Beasley, economics editor of the Irish Times, and Chris Johns, economist and columnist with the Irish Times. And Chris, we might just start with you, because today, I mean, the budget yesterday was well flagged, well leaked, uh, and there's a little bit of, uh, of something in it for everybody. Um, so it should have been a day when uh, Michael Noonan and Brendan Howland were able to do a lap of honour. But instead, this morning, the Fiscal Advisory ca- Council came out and they poured a very large bucket of cold water on the government's spending plans. What exactly is there? beef? I suspect that they don't have a beef with the letter of the EU budget laws. Um, I'll let Arthur comment about those. And I suppose Uh, just to frame it for mm. listeners, um, the government introduced a a budget package worth uh, 1.5 billion euro. The Fiscal Advisory Council had said previously that that was fine, didn't have Mm. a problem with that. But the previous weekend, they announced a, a supplementary spending plans of another one and a half billion euro, and that's where the Fiscal Advisory yeah. Council has a problem. That's where the surprise of the last few days has come. As you say, the budget was um, extraordinarily well leaked, so there were no rabbits out of the hat yesterday. But if there was one, it was over the weekend with an extra one and a half billion baked into to spending. Um, and I don't think many people, if anybody, was actually expecting them to do it in that way. We knew there was going to be extra spending for health and welfare, but we didn't think that they would do it in that way. And I suspect what the Fiscal Advisory Council are moaning about is precisely that, that um, they've, they've, they've done this slate of hand almost, and it's whether or not Brussels has an issue with that. My own sense of the rules is, is that that's still okay but it may invite a rap on the knuckles at the very least. Um, I don't think Brussels can have a, a beef with the letter of the law, but certainly they might argue that the spirit of the EU budget laws has been violated here. Arthur, talk of EU budget laws goes over the head of most people. Can you give us a, a short, sharp synopsis of precisely what uh, the EU rules in this area are? Well, there, there are two, two dimensions here which we could go through briefly. The first is that uh, supplementary budget estimate uh, at this point 
is acceptable within the framework of the laws because uh, this year is the year in which the government has to take the deficit below 3% and it, is do, it, 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 it has done so or will do so with success. But for as long as you're still in that phase, if you like, of your budget correction, uh, supplementary budget estimates which enlarge the totality of the national budget in a particular year are acceptable. Now, what happens next year is that because the deficit will have come to 2.1%, in other words, below the all-important 3% level, we now move into a different set of rules, if you like, within the, within the rule book. And those rules say that uh, supplementary estimates, as have been a feature uh, in Irish budget making for many years, particularly with respect to overruns in the health department, supplementary estimates next year will not be allowed in the same way. And if there's an overrun in health and there's to be a supplementary estimate for the health department, the money will have to come from another department. And that means essentially that another department will have to surrender money, which is a political uh, impossibility, you'd have to think, or else that the health department would have to start shutting down services somewhere uh, or else that uh, you know or, or else that measures would have to be taken to uh, to call a halt to the overrun but this is the last year that a, a supplementary for health and for other departments is acceptable in this way the other uh, dimension here is that the rules once you go into this other strand a centre on not the headline budget deficit, but something called the structural deficit, which is unobservable and essentially is an estimate as to what the permanent deficit is in the public finances when you strip out the impact of the economic cycle and temporary budget measures. Now, we could have a seminar for weeks and weeks and weeks. I can sense eyes yes. taking over at this yes. point. Uh, so, I mean, we're not going to go into that, but essentially the, uh, the government is obliged to reduce this estimated structural deficit by 0.6 of 1% of economic output per year. Michael Noonan said on the floor of the House yesterday that the budget will in fact reduce the structural deficit by 0.8%. So he's saying they're doing more than is required by the letter of the law. Did the uh, size of the supplementary spending that was announced at the weekend, did that come as a surprise to you? Um, I think it came as a surprise to uh, a lot of people, really. I mean, they I mean, had we're signaled, talking about yes, billion, Well, yeah. we are. And you, I mean, we're talking, you know, 600, 600 million for health, right? Mm. Uh, an overrun was expected. And this is on top of supplementaries totaling roughly uh, 150 already for health. Uh, and then you had the uh, supplementary for uh, social welfare. Uh, the argument was, was that there was an under-provision uh, with respect to the job seekers allowance, uh, in light of the expectations that the unemployment rate uh, it was going to be coming down, and it has. Uh, that has led, however, the, the under-provision has led to an overspend. Money was also required for the Christmas bonus. And then there was the question of buses and trains and transport. There was a question of a summer work scheme. But, uh, you know, one and a half billion is uh, a lot of money. And the concern that economists have is that this... Essentially, this, mo this is money which is voted uh, now in, that we're into the th fourth quarter of the year. It's voted by the Doyle, but then it's rolled in or baked in, as Chris says, into the uh, budget for next year. So the starting point is, you know, a, a, a good deal bigger than it was. And that's the base from which 
the measures announced in the budget yesterday uh, is set. So it's spending that's embedded and is there forevermore, essentially. Yes. And, that, and that's, that's a problem, mm. because as we learned during the crisis, um, once you've given something away, once you've put something it's into current spending, back. it's next to impossible to take it back. And we learned lots of things during the crisis. And about the public finances, a key lesson that we did learn is that when the cuts come, they come mostly from capital spending, not current. Yes, we did cut current spending a bit, but the big spending cuts were all on public sector investment. Now we're taking tax revenues, and incidentally, most of the extra tax revenues that they're spending are corporation tax revenues, which are volatile in the extreme, and baking them into current spending. And I think that stores potential problems. They could get lucky, and the economy keeps growing forever in the way that it is and mm. the way that they forecast. But we've learned that these current spending promises, once they're made, we had the greatest financial crisis in history, and we were unable to take many of the most, hardly any of them away. And that's the problem with this way of doing things. And correct me if I'm wrong, but Fine Gael and Labour uh, banged on for years and years and years about how Fianna, Fianna Fáil were embedding costs into the system. And if there was some earthquake, if you like, um, you know, this would come back to yeah. bite us. We've seen this movie before, recently. And if there are problems out there, and we kind of sort of expect things not always to be quite as good as they are at the moment, the decision to bake this, this extra tax revenue into current spending promises, which is baked in forever now, we, we know that, is a problem. And sorry, uh, uh, Brendan Howland uh, this morning on RTE said something to the effect that uh, spending is going up by 4%, but tax revenues are increasing by 14%. So, uh, therefore, they're not giving it all away. They're simply giving a portion away. It's the right thing to do because the economy is in recovery. Well, I mean, they, they, well, I mean look, at they, uh, what we have here essentially is a uh, 2.3 billion uh, overrun, or not, not overrun, but a kind of tax revenues are coming in 2.3 billion ahead of, ahead of schedule. The government says, look, at they're allocating 1.5 billion to spending. They're using 800 million to cut the deficit. They say there's always supplementaries, there are always overruns. I think the key thing here, though, is that you can't have supplementaries next year. So, you know, there, there could be an element of just making, of provisioning at this point, okay. while they can within the law, uh, to allow for uh, events that, that might materialise next year. Um, In their defence, they would also say, look at, you know, they're you know, expanding the budget, uh, but they are still going to reduce the headline deficit next year uh, by almost half, you know, and the deficit at the end of 15 will come in at 2.1%, and the, the budget is predicated on a deficit coming in at 1.2%. Uh, it is also the case that, you know, in recent years we've seen uh, under-promising and over-delivery. So it might well be that the deficit, if there is a fair wind behind uh, the the economy next year, that the headline deficit might come in below that. Now, all of that assumes that everything goes well and that the stellar growth rate uh, that we are see in the current year and saw last year continues into next year. But it's, it's, it, it, it's one of our constants of economic life here in Ireland that, that health we have to find between 500 and a billion every, every year. And if we're back at this, this, this time next year, we actually have a major problem. But why is that? I don't know. I'm not sure that anybody does. At Irish Life, we can tell you that 49% of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow. They don't have a pension plan. We can help you help them. 
Because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always-on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 01704-1845. Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information source for Irish Life September 2014. All right, we'll we leave that point there. Maybe let's just have a look at uh, Budget 2016. Um, Chris, good, bad or indifferent in your view? As expected, um, it depends which hat you want to wear. If I wear my economist hat, I would say, as I have just said, it, 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 I'm worried that they've taken essentially a boom in corporation tax revenues and bake them into current spending. I'm less concerned with the, the adding to the economy that's growing very strongly. A lot of people say that, you, sh- you know, the ESRI, for example, said, you know, put a neutral budget out because the economy doesn't need the boost of extra spending. Um, I don't buy that, actually. I think that an economy that still has 9.5% unemployment um, clearly can take an, an extra boost. And I think it's important to keep growth going. Um, so... Doing some doing something for the economy, I think, is a good thing, and I wouldn't have uh, uh, called for or indeed expected uh, a, a neutral budget. But going pulling up on the theme that I was talking about earlier on, I think that the focus an economist would say, given that all of your cuts were on the capital budget, given the state of the public sector infrastructure in this country, you could have reoriented it towards some more longer term thinking. I know that goes against the grain of everybody shrugging their shoulders and say, look, it's a political budget. I've written an article saying that, and you've got to be pragmatic. But if you were wearing an economist hat, you would say, look, give the economy a boost via public sector capital spending, investing in the economy rather than simply uh, employing more people and boosting their wages. And public transport infrastructure is mm. going to be vitally important, particularly in Dublin, where you can see the stresses and strains that are beginning to emerge from a lot more people being at work and a lot more tourists around town and so forth. We're, we've got traffic jams again for the first time in years, and uh, we really need to put a lot more money into public transport. We need to put an awful lot more money into that. I think we need to invest in education. I think we have a huge problem with education and the infrastructure. Um, the minister yesterday, Mr. Hallin, said that we're still performing very well in all of the OECD league tables, which is true as a snapshot. But what he didn't say... Our universities that, aren't doing too well. What he didn't say was that we're actually... Although the, the position of the league tables is still reasonably OK, we're slipping down them, whichever ones that you care to look at, the most recent ones being, as you just pointed out, that we don't have a top 100 university in the country anymore. But it's also true of secondary-level testing that we are starting to slip on those league tables. I wrote an article recently pointing out that the economic syllabus for the Leaving Cert hasn't changed since 1969. That's a small example of a much wider problem that we, yes, have got and have had a fantastic education system, but everybody, a lot of other countries are passing us out. And and that's where a, a focus of spending should have been as well. Arthur, this is a business podcast, so it would be remiss of us not to look at some of the measures that might benefit business going forward. Was it a positive budget uh, for companies, for enterprises? 
Well, I mean, the the, the really big uh, news at the level of businesses is the the increase in the bank levy or the prolongation of the bank levy. Uh, it isn't increasing next year. Uh, it's essentially, it was a pre, it's a, it was a pre-announcement yes. of a of a new levy that's going to come in in 2017. Uh, now it's a very a political measure. Uh, it's going to take in 750 million. The point was made that this would be enough to pay for the new National Children's Hospital. In the backdrop, however, I think. Uh, What's really interesting here is that the government, uh, the further we move away from the crash, the government gets less and less money uh, by way of guarantee fees and all kinds of other income from the banks. Therefore, this presents uh, something of a gap in the public finances because for all of the cost of the bank recapitalizations, the government was in all that period taking big, big fees from the rescued banks. So that money, that kind of that stream of income is running out, and the uh, and this is why it seems to me that the government was saying, okay, right, we're going to uh, actually uh, continue to take from the banks. Now, and arguably, the banks are an easy target because well, they, they are, of course, to of such course. an extent. If I might just throw in a small technical mm. point there, I think we're robbing Peter to pay Paul here, because the people that you're taking the money from with the bank levy are the bank shareholders, and who are they? Yeah, but I mean, it's essentially it's a cost of business, so it's been borne by the bank customers rather than the bank shareholders. And I mean, the bank shareholders to a large degree have been wiped out. A and B shareholders have been wiped we out are permanently. The bank shareholders. Sure. So the bank levy just simply reduces the share price that they will get for AIB, for example. Yeah, of course, 25% of permanent TSP is in private hands. Yeah, so to the stage. extent that the shareholding is in private hands, which for Bank of Ireland and permanent TSP... And all bar 14% of yeah. Bank of Ireland is in private hands. We are t- taking from somebody else, but mm. to a certain extent, we are taking from ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, but that's a negative for business, yeah. then, if you, if you well, like. It is, yeah, but so it let's, look, let's, let's, big... look at the, uh, let's look at the positives. Well, I, I mean, there's a reduction in capital gains. Uh, there's a reduction in commercial, uh, uh, commercial road taxes. That's a really big one because, I mean, it was cast as a measure to help truckers, but in fact, you know, the sense is that this is going to help people who, who have commercial vans as well. It's not just big, you know, 18 wheelers or whatever they are, and that's a lot of tradespeople uh, who will derive the the benefit there, you know. Now there's a lot of uh, people in the in the space of the in the entrepreneurial world who would say that look, not enough has been done here for startup businesses, uh, and that that more should have been done. That there was a review, that submissions were made in the summer, and that the government hasn't listened. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, there is only so much money to go around, and the government uh, is quite clearly in election mode, and it has directed the largesse uh, at those uh, those point those those parts of the community where it believes will get the biggest return. Yeah, there was some relief for the self-employed, uh, Chris, with a, an earned income credit of five hundred and fifty euro. Not quite the sixteen hundred and fifty uh, PAYE tax credit that people in the PAYE system earn, but nonetheless, it's a it's a step along the road. Although he didn't reduce the eleven percent. Um, That's right. USC rate so for those earning for earnings over hundred grand. I've read in several papers this morning commentators saying that the marginal tax rate in Ireland now is 49.5%. For a certain group of taxpayers, it is. Mm. But up, if to you, 70, up to 70,000. If you up. are a successful entrepreneur mm. in Ireland, your marginal tax rate is still 55%. And I think it's important to stress that. I've actually tried to research where the original rationale for taxing self-employed people more than the PAYE sector came from. And I found some comments from politicians going way back that the reason why they did it was essentially because the self-employed can fiddle their expenses. Um, And that, you know, in this day and age, that's outrageous. You know why it was said. 
Um, but I think that uh, not move, not at least signalling that something, because I don't think anything was said yesterday about that 55% rate. I think some kind of signal that, that that's an anomaly that needs correcting would have been welcome. We should just highlight that if you're in the PAYE sector, your earnings over 100 grand are coming at a USC rate of 8%. If you're self-employed, it's 11% on the earnings over 100 grand. That's right. And uh, I think there was a signal that uh, uh, Michael Noonan said that ultimately, you know, if the government is returned to power, that ultimately it would uh, it would move towards equalisation of tax treatment uh, between the employed and the self-employed. But I mean, with respect to that, uh, you know, 8% USC rate and the 11% USC rate on particular earnings in the, in the self-employed cohort to uh, set about cutting that uh, essentially is, it was deemed to be uh, too expensive. And it was a lot cheaper for the government to grant this €550 Euro, uh, credit akin to the PAYE t- uh, credit uh, because the costs are uh, considerably less than the cost of reducing the 11% US- USC. So as again, it's, try- it's taking a limited pool of money available for tax cuts uh, and trying to spread it ama- around as efficiently as possible. The positive, I suppose, Chris, for uh, businesses in the services industry, uh, retail, etc., is that people are going to have a lot more money in their pockets come January, February, etc. Um, and hopefully they will spend that money in the local economy. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that's to be welcomed. I mean, that, that that's unambiguously a good thing. And I think, as, as I said earlier on, the, the economy can still do with uh, a boost. Um, but I think we also need to, to think about something else the minister, um, Minister Noonan, said that he'd abolished boom and bust. He said it three times, I counted. Um, and that's already half wrong. <laughs> because I think we have a boom. I know it doesn't feel like it, and a lot of people are still struggling, but in terms of headline GDP growth rates, by anybody's standards, this economy is booming. And it's fine, and this will give it another boost and will help it to continue to boom. Is it a Dublin boom, though? Um, yeah, but it started... Yes, it is. Um, but I do think that the longer it goes on, the more likely it is that it will ripple out, as it always does do. The, the, the history of this economy, and indeed many other economies, is that it's always the capital city that starts. You know, in the UK, it's always London and the southeast, and then it ripples out. Um, the UK's own economic growth story was emphasised this morning when they had, you know, another huge uh, rise in employment and uh, a, fall to, a fall in unemployment um, and that's a story of it initially started in London and the southeast and is now rippling out to the regions. And that, to a certain extent, is happening here. Um, we need much more of it, though. Arthur, the 9% uh, special VAT rate for the tourism and leisure sector was maintained. Now, that was introduced initially to help that sector get back on its feet. It's worked very successfully. Over 30,000 jobs have been created. And you can see yourself that hotels are once again busy. Is it time for that to go? Well, uh, you you might well be able to make a, an economic argument that it's a, that it's appropriate to now to uh, to uh, remove what was an emergency measure. But uh, you know we're in the canton to election, and again that's a, that'd be politically mm. very very difficult, uh, politically a very difficult thing to do. And it uh, you know it, it underscores the reality that when you introduce you know budget measures which confer a particular benefit on a particular cohort well then it's very very hard to go to, to set about reversing yeah. them sure but we've had uh, motor vehicle scrappage schemes in the past which yes. have lasted for a fixed period yes. and then have been taken away and the idea of those scrappage schemes was to help the motor industry get back on its feet so scrap your old banger and you'll get a you'll get a sum of money that you can put towards a new car 
Yeah, well, but, uh, you know, to, to that, and I, I say that's a very valid point, but to that I would say that the only tax increase in this uh, budget next year is on the price of a pack of cigarettes. Yeah. Chris, what about this 9% VAT rate for the tourism industry? Do you think it's still justified? I mean, it was being paid for by the government dipping into everybody's private sector pension funds uh, with that special levy, which is now being unwound. Yes, um, I think Arthur makes makes a good point that, again, wearing an economist hat, you would argue, yes, the reasons for that emergency measure have now gone. But it would have been a tax increase. And as Arthur said, he wanted to be able to say, I'm not increasing taxes except on fags. Yeah. Arthur, uh, the Minister, Minister Noonan, spoke about progressively abolishing USC uh, in the years ahead if, if the public finances allow for it. How might he achieve that? Because it's a big revenue earner for the government. Um, well, it's a huge revenue earner. Um, well, I mean, I think you know, in, in broad brush terms, the plan is that this would be progressively, progressively uh, eliminated over a period of five years in a scenario where the government was returned to power. The, the argument is made that this tax from which the government is getting uh, $5 billion, I think it was, at a particular point, they've now reduced the take from that tax by a billion over the course of two budgets. That means that there's 80% of the way left to go. And the argument is made that the government, if returned and if growth continues and all the rest of it, that uh, they would be able to gradually reduce that take by a similar order year after year after year. But all of that assumes that the very high rate of economic growth continues, that the high rate of employment creation continues, and that all uh, remains well in the Irish economy because the USC is a very, very efficient kind of a tax, which is, uh, you know, really was the kind of the, the bulwark around which the recovery in tax revenues was built. So, I mean, I mean, they're not going to abolish it overnight. That's a political impossibility. And the reality is that uh, the kind of uh, those kind of tax revenues derived from USC are very, very important. And it's kind of it's like it's it's, you know, if, if they are removed from USC, well, then tax is going to be found somewhere else. Chris, Dave, uh, we've got a severe housing shortage. I think everybody uh, is agreed on that point. And yesterday they announced that NAMA would deliver uh, 20,000 housing units, predominantly in the Dublin area, over the next few years. What do you think of that plan? And is it is it is it a good plan in the sense that the state is involving itself uh, in building now, and it could queer the pitch for you know a lot of property developers, uh, builders, etc., who are just only now getting back on their feet. And I think one of the issues is, as, as raised by John McManus in the paper this morning, is, is that nobody's quite sure why developers are not developing. Um, there are lots of suspects. We, we you know, we, we look at the, the availability of mortgage finance. We wonder why they're sitting on land banks and not building. And the developers say that it doesn't make economic sense for them to do it. And I, so that there must be a level of frustration in government circles that the private sector isn't delivering. And so they're going to, you know, it's a classic case of market failure, if you like. And when you have that, the government has to take up the reins. And so I think it's an understandable reaction. The house, you know, it's an extraordinary situation, isn't it? We've come from, a, from just a few short years ago to our greatest financial crisis in the history of the state because we were building too many houses. And now we're not building enough. Mm. There's something very wrong structurally there, isn't there? And, and it, it's, it's, it's an extraordinary problem that has to be solved. We know it does. Um, whether this turns out to be the solution, somehow I doubt it. They've got to, get the, they've got to figure out how to get the private sector building again. Arthur, is this the correct intervention in the housing scene? Well, I mean, it's a supply problem at its root. Um, 
I'd ra- ra- rather see this than a dilution of mortgage caps to the level of the central bank, you know, and make it easier for people to raise more and more debt and to have, you know, ever increasing prices and, you know, wages then trying to chase those prices. So, I mean, you know, in a scenario where the private market is not doing what the private market is supposed to do, in a scenario where the shortage is very, very acute and getting worse, I mean, again, this is an emergency intervention, one you would not take lightly, one you would not take in normal times. But, uh, you know, there, there, is, there is a requirement for action and there's a requirement for political action. Chris, the minimum wage is going to go up by 50 cent an hour. There's already a lot of small businesses uh, around Ireland crying foul on this, saying that they simply can't afford it. What's your view? I think that, yes, there will be a cohort of small businesses affected by this negatively and employment will suffer as a result. But I think it'll be at the margin. Um, overall, I think it's a good idea. Um, other economies are doing it as well. Um, I've looked at a lot of the evidence around raising the minimum wage in different economies, and it is conventional wisdom for an economist like me to say, oh, minimum wages will have a very negative effect on employment levels. Um, The evidence for that actually is very thin. Um, And small rises like this typically don't amount to much in in, in aggregate, in terms of aggregate employment terms. And, you know, we're not talking about very large sums of money here. So, yeah, I think that, you know... Um, uh, baristas might well be affected by this but I I think that as both a social, political and economic measure we should probably welcome it. And can we afford schemes like free GP care for under 12s for example and restoring 75% of the Christmas bonus for OAPs? That's a particular question about a more general issue is should we be borrowing to fund current expenditure and at this stage of the economic cycle I suspect the answer is no. We, we, we shouldn't. And so if, if, if you cast it in terms of should we be financing spending, current spending on things like free GP care with borrowing, the answer is no, we can't afford it. Arthur, Minister Noonan talked about balancing the books effectively in nominal terms in 2018 and in structural terms in 2019. I'm not going to ask you to explain the difference between the two, but should we not... A long time away. <laughs> should, should we not be focusing on balancing the books in the here and now rather than spending money uh, on, you know, Christmas bonuses for OAPs or free GP care for under 12s or etc. Kieran, this this brings us back to uh, the riddle of political real time. You know, an an economic analysis would say you should balance the books as quickly as you can. Your national debt is still very high. Uh, All the other problems that there are. Um, But, uh, you know, this is not a budget that is cast in uniquely economic terms. There are uh, political necessities. Uh, This is an economy from which 29 billion was taken. Uh, That austerity was shouldered by taxpayers. We had huge bank bailouts, 64 billion went into the banks. I know the net figure is 32, but that net figure of 32 is the equivalent of the entire tax take in 2010, the worst year of the crisis from the perspective of the public finances. And the uh, political impulse here is that, you know, too much was asked of the people. The people did their bit. The time has come now that the economy is in recovery to give a little bit back. And, you know, at one, one and a half billion, or well, let's call it three, right, to go back to the start of the conversation, you know, uh, these are not vast figures. I don't think anyone's going to feel rich in the, in, in the wake of the budget. But to go back to your question, yes, in a purely economic sense, of course, you should be balancing the books, you know, forthwith. Uh, Chris? Yes, um, as as I say, uh, we're still adding to the debt. Mm. And um, 
all of the points about politics are well made, and that's the reality of the situation. Um, but what we ha are faced with is a risk, and that risk is if the external environment takes a, a downturn, as inevitably it will at some point. There's no sign of it at the moment in, from, from the point of view of our most important trading partners, the UK and the US. There are pockets of difficulties elsewhere, but the UK and the US look all right. Um, if that were to change, we'd be back to where we were in the crisis of having to cut spending and raise taxes as the economy was turning down which, wearing the economist hat, is absolutely nuts. Now, Michael Noonan might argue that there's going to be a cheque coming to the Exchequer next year from AIB, of some sort or other. Uh, we don't know the quantum, but there will be a large cheque to be written, and that will be used to pay off some of the national debt. So why well, not? Well, well, it, it, why not with some of these spending measures? Well, that's, 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 that's the argument. That's the argument. And, you know, that money has to be used to pay down debt. I mean, the argument is made, look at, you know, the Ireland's national debt, which reached a peak of something uh, in excess of 120% of GDP, uh, is now around, you know, 100% of GDP on its way to 93% of GDP. But that's not because we're paying down vast volumes of debt. That's because the to total size of GDP is increasing, uh, is increasing mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. So this is a... These, <laughs> These are questions of measurements. They're not. A, they're not a question of actual pay down of debt. And the the problem with a large national debt is that you know you you are very very exposed in a time of crisis. One of the you know one of the dynamics in the public finances right now is that the costs of, of the cost of servicing that debt have come right down. This is on the back of you know benign market conditions, ECB bond buying, all the rest of it. You know, but where those borrowing costs to rise appreciably, well then there's no doubt that the public finances will be in pretty serious trouble. And that's a particular point more generally about the absence of longer term thinking because it's all very well to say that we have low interest costs on our debt, which we do. But if we don't pay down that debt, eventually it all has to be rolled into new debt. The five-year bonds will be repaid in five years' time. And probably at more expensive And rates when those rolls come, that's when the interest bill potentially will skyrocket if we haven't paid down the debt. Yeah. Um, Chris, if you had been the Minister for Finance yesterday, is there, is there something missing in this budget that you would have announced? Absence of long-term strategic thinking. Well, that's a political failure, really, isn't it? I mean, that's it's, it's, it's just uh, never part of the political scene. Arthur, if you were Minister for Finance, or if you were Brendan Howland, is there something you would have included? Oh, gosh, that's a really difficult... <laughs> that's not a question I've ever, ever, ever considered. Um... Well, one likes to sit back and observe all these things. One never would imagine oneself being the Minister of Finance. Um, what would I do? Um, While Arthur's thinking, I would, the specific thing I would have liked to have seen was, was, was hands up. Yes, it's a political budget going for an election. We've got to do this. Everybody understands that. But the promises I'm making for the future, the ones that he made were essentially, we're going to continue doing this. This is what you'll get if you re-elect us. It would have been nice to have seen, and we will do something else as well. For example, this whole USC tax discussion cries out for reform. Because we, 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 we haven't mentioned PRSI. We have income tax, we have USC, we have PRSI. It's a dog's breakfast. So the promise that I would have made would be, I will certainly be reducing USC to the point of elimination, but I will also be reforming the tax system so that people can actually understand it. I doubt whether there is a single individual who is not a chartered accountant in Ireland that understands the tax system. I will make the tax system understandable via reform and simplification, and we won't have all these different things called USC, PRSI. We'll just have tax rates. 
Arthur, is this a, a budget that can win the next election for Fianna Gael and Labour? Um, I, I think it's a budget w- with which the government could well have gone to the country within a few weeks, frankly. Um, it's not going to happen. They're going to wait until the spring. Um, the question that arises, therefore, is whether people will feel uh, sufficiently pleased with what they get in their pay packets come January and February to decide that they want to re-elect the government. That is the question. But between now and then... Uh, you know, there's a good many weeks and there's uh, plenty potential for uh, political argument and banana skins, particularly in the winter period when uh, the hospitals tend to get clogged up. Sure. Chris, is this, uh, was that a, a budget that can win the next election for Fine Gael and Labour, in your opinion? Um, I think so, yes. Because um, I think ultimately um, what they're hoping for is uh, to replicate the experience of the UK and David Cameron and essentially to say, you know, what you see is what you get, stability with some understanding of what the future looks like. On the other side, whatever it might be, combination of independence, the rise of Sinn Féin, etc., you're just going to get chaos. Okay, that's it from this week's Irish Times Business Podcast. My thanks to Arta Beasley and Chris Johns for their contributions. Sinead O'Shea produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. Don't forget you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 